The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. I remember when I was a kid, I had a a spiritual gift uh, that I think most kids have, I'm not sure, but I remember that when I would uh, go shopping with my parents, or particularly my grandparents, my grandparents were uh, much uh, softer than my parents because my grandparents loved to uh, get me stuff. How many of you have grandparents like that? They like to buy me stuff, and I loved that as a kid, of course. Uh, but my spiritual gift was be able to go into any store uh, at any time in any location and be able to find something that I wanted. Anybody else have that gift as a kid? Anybody have kids like that? Any store, it doesn't matter. I would find something. I want this. And so I remember that, that my grandparents typically would get me something if we'd go into the store together. Most of the time, my parents would tell me to stay in the car, right? Because I, I, I own this gift so much. And, and so I remember going to my grandparents, and, and sometimes I would be like, hey, Grandma, can I have this radio-controlled truck? It's only $400. And she'd be like, no, baby, let's get this uh, candy bar instead, right? But I would walk out of there with something. That's how good I was, right? And so uh, I remember my parents, and my, it didn't work on my parents. I don't know about you, but my parents were kind of tired of hearing that. And so my parents would always tell me this, and it was something that really rung true uh, even to this day. They would say, Eric, do you need that or do you want that? How many of you have ever heard that? from your parents. Do you need that and, or, or do you want that? And I'll be, I'll be straight honest with you. Uh, when I was seven, eight, nine years old, I was thinking to myself, both. <laughs> like I need this and I want this, right? I mean, this is going to change my world. This is going to change my life. And, and so I remember even to this day, always asking the question, do I need this or do I want this? But, but here's, here's what I want to tell you. Sometimes the answer is both. And so have you ever asked yourself the question, what do I need? Like, like deep in your soul. I mean, it's easy to point out the things that you want, right? I mean, you can just go on and online and find things that you want. But have you ever begun to ask yourself, what does my soul long for? Like, like is it possible that there is, a, there is a core need that is shared by each one of us. Is it possible that there is a need deep down within one of us? There's a common longing, if you will, in all the souls of humanity. I mean, is it possible that there's a need that every person in every culture, in every ethnicity, in every socioeconomic background would share this common need? Is there a common need that is shared by every person everywhere? Well, I'll tell you, that is the question that sparked a six-year research investigation by a well-known social scientist, Brene Brown. How many of you ever heard of Brene Brown? Popular lady, did some TED Talks, but really was driven by this understanding. What is it that people need What is it that you and I really long for within our souls? And the research showed that the deepest need that every one of us desires is the need to belong. We all want to belong. And not only do we want it, but we need it. She says it's almost like belonging 
gives us this sense of meaning. It's almost like it gives us a sense of purpose for our lives. And because belonging sits at the deepest part of our souls, many of our internal struggles and our internal battles comes from this desire and this need to actually belong. That's why we struggle the way we struggle, because for some reason we don't feel like we really belong. Have you ever had um, a performance evaluation at work, school, physical, right? Maybe it was a a tryout or maybe it was a a physical exam from a doctor. You're going to go in, you're going to have this examination and we're going to test to see where you're at. And so I remember uh, even growing up and working all these different jobs that I would always have a yearly evaluation. You've been through that? And so what happens in the evaluation is the boss or the teacher or whoever comes in and sits down with you with a piece of paper or pieces of paper, depending on how long the evaluation is, and they begin to tell you all the things that exceeds expectations. Isn't that how it works? These are all the, here's the 65 areas that you nailed it. You hit it out of the park. You're awesome at this. You're awesome at this. You're amazing at this. These are all the ways that you really succeed and do really well. In. But before the, the interview is over, you always get to the bottom, which is the need for improvement or, or I like the opportunity for growth, right? Here's the opportunity for growth. And, and they, they may only have just one area that they feel like you can grow in. Now, let me ask you, when you leave that meeting, like, what's the one thing that you can't get out of your mind? I mean, what's the one thing that keeps you up at night? The one thing that you're saying, am I really valued? Am I, do I really belong? It's the one area of growth, isn't it? I mean, that's the one thing we constantly dwell on. It's, it's why when you talk to people about love, You want to talk to people about love? They'll talk to you about heartbreak. It's why when you start to talk to people about belonging, they'll start to talk to you about their most hurtful experiences of being excluded. When you try to talk to people about connection, they'll talk to you about their feelings of being disconnected. Neurological research shows that there is one thing that keeps us from feeling like we belong. There's one thing. Do you know what it is? One thing that is the enemy of our belonging. I'll give you a hint. It's not programs. It's not opportunities. And it's not lack of groups. So many people, they say, well, there's no really opportunity for me to feel like I belong. There's no real group for me. There's no interest group that I can really connect with. Let me tell you, the one thing upon all of the world that keeps us from genuinely belonging, it's not groups, it's shame. Shame is the one thing that keeps us from truly belonging. You know, in Genesis chapter 3, we get to the part of, of creation where God creates everything for his splendor and his glory. And he creates it all and he puts man and woman right in the middle of the garden. You remember this? 
And he says, all this is a display of my glory. All this is a display of my goodness. All this is a display of my grace. You can have all of this except for this one tree. Don't, I don't want you to eat of this one tree because if you take of this one tree and you eat it, you'll surely die. And so the enemy comes and the deceiver comes and starts to deceive us. Did God really say that? You know what you need to do is you need to take of that tree. You need to actually eat of that fruit so that you can be like God. And so they give into the temptation. They give into the deceiver and they take of the fruit and they eat it. And the very next next thing that happens is they hide from God. They are disconnected from God. And God comes and he walks with them and he says, where are you? We hid from you. Why? The Bible says because they felt naked and ashamed. You see, shame disconnects us with God. Shame disconnects us with creation. Shame, it disconnects us with each other. The one thing that stands in the way from us belonging is shame. Now, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Shame is the fear of disconnection. Shame is the fear of disconnection. Shame is the fear that if you really knew me, if you really know or saw who I really was, it would expose me as a fake and thereby making me unworthy of belonging. If you really know what was going on in my mind, if you really know what was going on in my heart, if I really said what I really meant, it would exclude me. You would see right through the fake facade that I've worked so hard to build. You know, we've all experienced this, haven't we? Come on. I mean, we've all experienced this very real feeling of, I'm not good enough. You ever experienced that? I, I'm not good enough. So, so I, I, I don't feel like I belong because they're better than me. I, I don't feel like I belong because I'm not, I'm not rich enough. I mean, I can't, I can't, I don't drive that kind of car. I, don't, I can't shop in that store. Like, I just don't feel like I'm rich enough, or, 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 or I'm not smart enough. Ever feel like that? I didn't get into that school. I didn't, I didn't make those grades. I didn't pass that test the way that they did. I just don't feel smart enough. I don't feel tough enough. I don't feel fit enough. And so I, I just avoid the gym. I just avoid workouts because, because if I go there, you know what? I just don't belong there. Ever feel that way? Oh, well, I'm not, I'm not pretty enough. I'm not brave enough. I'm not holy enough. I'm not, I don't know the Bible enough. I can't talk to people. I can't connect in that group. I just don't know enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not talented enough. Therefore, you know what? I guess I just don't belong. I guess I don't belong. And because so many are afraid of rejection, what we do is we're willing to come. We're willing to attend. We're willing to say hello and good day, but never really connect. We're willing to keep people at an arm's length because of shame. We don't really want people to know the man behind the curtain, right? And so let me just be honest with you. I don't want you to confuse a conviction with shame. All right. Conviction is when God and the Holy Spirit come to you and says, no, no, you should not be walking this way. You should, you should walk this way. I want to bend your heart over here. I want to, I'm convicting you in a way that says, this is not right. This is not good. This is not healthy. This is not joy giving. This is not life. I want you to be over here. And the Holy Spirit starts to convict us and say, oh, you should actually turn your face toward godliness and away from sin. And that's, that's conviction. And so conviction says, I've done something wrong. And the Bible's clear, we've all done something wrong. 
We've all fallen short the glory of God. Conviction says I've done something wrong, but shame says I am something wrong. Therefore, they won't accept me. You see, conviction says I've messed up. Shame says I am messed up, so they won't accept me. I don't belong there. Listen, in order to overcome the fear of I don't belong, in order to overcome the chains of shame, we must allow ourselves to be seen. Really seen. Really seen. A true sense of belonging only comes through honest vulnerability. A true sense of belonging only comes through authenticity. Everyone say authenticity. Are there any, uh, any collectors in here? Anybody collect anything? Coins? Stamps? Sports memorabilia, art. How many of you have more than one cat? Okay, that's a problem. <laughs> when I was a kid, I, uh, I collected uh, sports cards, right? Baseball cards, things like that. Uh, I still have a ton of them in, in my basement uh, in a box. That's where I got these. Um, but, but I remember I would, I would collect them, I'd put them in books, I'd organize them, I'd have them all registered, things like that. I knew how much they would worth. And, and so because I, I collected things like that, um, along the way, someone got me these autographed baseballs. Um, now, these, uh, one of them, I believe it's this one, uh, is the uh, 1985 uh, St. Louis Cardinal team, 1985. So you've got autographs like Ozzie Smith and Willie McGee and Daryl Porter and Jack Clark, right? And, you know, the, the, the whole team, the whole team is on there, 1985. I'm going to check this out here. Check this out. And then, uh, and then this one, this one, I'm not real sure. I think it was maybe before that, maybe 82. I think they won the championship then. Uh, Whitey Herzog, you know, Bruce Souter, guys like that. And, and so... Um, Tito Landrum. I mean, this is, this, is a, this is a real deal. And so check those out. And, and so here's the deal. Uh, if you're a collector or you know what's going on with that, you, you're probably thinking to yourself, wow, that's pretty awesome. Any, any Cardinal fans out there that are like, oh man, that's pretty rich, right? And, and so if I were you, Eric, I wouldn't be, uh, you know, tossing those out and letting those grubby hands get on those and, you know, messing around with those. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing that. If they should be in a case, they should be enclosed. But here's the deal is I can do that because they're not real. <laughs> they're not authentic. Someone went to a store, saw them and bought them and then gave them to me. They didn't actually have them signed. You know, you can get balls like that. And, and so, so here's what I know. It is possible when it comes to authenticity, to look like the real thing, yet still be fake. It, it's possible to pretend that you're someone you're not, and it keeps you from truly belonging. It's possible to look like a Christian, and even talk like a Christian, and go where Christians go, and do what Christians do, and you learn the walk, and you learn the talk, and you can, you can go to church, and some of you, listen, you've been going to church for a very, very long time, maybe your whole life, and even though you've been in church, and you've, you've, you've performed your churchy behavior, listen, you still don't feel like you belong. You still don't feel like you fit. You, you still feel like you don't connect. 
Listen, the reason is, is not, it's, it's because there's not a program out there that can somehow solve that. There's not an organization or a system that would somehow do that for you. You have to be authentic. In order to be authentic is the only way that you can truly belong. If you're taking notes, write this one down. You must be willing to let go of who you think you should be in order to be who God made you to be. Let me say that again. You need to let go of this image that you think you need to measure up to. You need to let go of this idea of who you think that you should be or who the church tells you you ought to be or who all the people tell you, you know what, you should do this. You need to let go of all the ways that you think you should be in order to be who God made you to be. And look at me. He made you to be you. Not me. Not someone else. He made you to be you. Listen, you will never feel like you belong as long as you're unwilling to be who God made you to be. You'll never feel like you belong unless you be who God made you to be. There's a great story in Genesis 27. Genesis 27, we meet a man named Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Isaac was getting old in his years. In Genesis 27, it says that he was so old that he knew that his day was coming, that he was going to pass away. He knew it was coming. He was so old that he had trouble seeing. It says that his eyes were dim, meaning he was going blind. And so because his days were running short, he realized he needed to pass the blessing on to his son. And in this day, the older son always got the blessing. You with me on that? And so Isaac is there. He can't see very well. And so he calls in his oldest son, Esau. And he says, Esau, I think it's time for your blessing. And Esau's like, yes, finally. Right? Not that he's excited that his dad's going to die, but it's time for his blessing. And so he's like, okay, let's do this thing. He says, before you get the blessing, what I want you to do is I want you to take your bow and I want you to go out and I want you to hunt. Get something tasty for us and make a meal. Right? Find something maybe, maybe young, you know, soft and, and delicious. That's what he says. Go get something delicious and bring it back and prepare it. Bring it in. We'll have a feast and then I'll bless you. Esau's like, yes, let's do this. He gets his bow. He runs out and he goes hunt some game. Meanwhile, Rebecca, his wife, and Jacob, the younger son, actually overhear the plan. Oh, it's time for the blessing. And so, and so Rebecca, she says, she says, okay, Jacob, I think you can get the blessing. I think you can get it from your brother. This is how you're going to do it. I want you to go out and I want you to get a goat. Get, get a young one, you know, one that's really tender. And, and bring it to me and I'll prepare it for you. And, and, and then you'll go in and you'll serve it to your father. And he'll think, he'll think it's your brother because he can't see. He'll think it's your brother and then he'll give the blessing to you and you'll get the blessing. And Jacob's like, oh man, I don't, I don't think that's going to work, mom. I mean, really two, two problems with that. One, you know, I don't sound like Esau. And two, I don't look like Esau. And what he means by that is the Bible says that Esau was really hairy. And so the plan was, oh, mom's got that. Oh, well, you bring in the goat. I'll prepare it. We'll use the fur of the goat. We'll put it on your skin so that if your father touches you, he'll think you're your brother. Now, let me just pause right there for a moment, all right? Because listen, if you're blind and you're like trying to figure out which son is which and one of them feels like Chewbacca, <laughs> that's weird, man. I mean, you've got to get that taken care of. There's, there's something really wrong with that. I mean, which one is that? Is he, oh, I got you now. All right. And so, and so that's the plan, right? That's to put the fur on you and then go in and pretend you're someone else. 
Pretend you're the brother. Pretend so that you can be accepted. Pretend so that you would belong in the blessing. That's what you need to do. And so Jacob says, okay, let's do it. They, they, get the, they get the goat, right? They prepare it. And verse 18, it says this. So Jacob went into his father and said, my father. He said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done what you told me. Now bless me. Now what happens is, is Isaac's confused. He's like, well, I'm hearing the voice of my younger son, but he's saying with his mouth that he's actually someone else. You see, Jacob believes that if he would just simply pretend that he was someone else, that maybe he would belong. And, and, so, and so Isaac does exactly what they thought he was going to do. He's like, okay, well, I'm hearing this wrong, so, so why don't you come a little closer so I can touch you, so I can see who you are. And sure enough, touches the goat, ooh, right, Chewbacca, right there. And, and he's like, oh, okay. I guess you are. Look, look at what he says. He has to ask again because he's still confused. Verse 24, he said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. And then he said, well, bring it near to me that I may eat my son's game and bless you. And, and so here's the deal. If you, if you continue to follow Jacob's life over the next few chapters, he's pretending and he's pretending and he's trying to be someone else, and he has questionable lifestyles, right? And he has some, some uh, questionable ethics and character issues. Uh, until finally, in Genesis chapter 32, Genesis 32, the heading says that Jacob wrestles with God. And, and so Jacob comes in, and he, and he starts to wrestle with this God-man, angel guy, right? He starts to wrestle with God, and it says, it says that he wrestles with God all night. I mean, his hip is out of socket, right? And he's just, he's just going at it until finally, Jacob finally gets this, this angel, this God, right, in an arm bar or a headlock or something, right? He gets him in a submission hole, and, and he's like, you better bless me now. Now, look at what it says in, in Genesis 32, verse 26. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, no, I will not let you go until you bless me. Listen, Jacob's still trying. He's still trying. He'll, I'll do anything to feel like I'm connected. I'll do anything to feel like I belong. I'll do anything. He, I'm wrestling with God here. And he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. But look at what God says to him. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Like finally, he owns up to who God made him to be. Finally, he's honest before God and says, no, 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 I'm not Esau. I'm not somebody else. I'm done pretending. I'm Jacob. And God says, finally, I'm going to use you. Finally, you're going to be a part of my family. Listen, being who God created you to be will take courage. But not, not courage in the way that you think courage. Hear me now. Because you think courage means be brave. You see, being who God made you to be will take courage, but not in a sense that it will require you to be brave. You see, courage comes from the word cur, which is the Latin word for heart. Courage, it means from the heart. And so the original meaning of courage was to show 
one's heart. Courage to be who you are. Our willingness to be who God created us to be flows from our willingness to show our hearts. Listen, it means that we're going to have to be willing to be seen as imperfect. We're going to have to be willing to show that we're messed up. So here's the question. If people want to belong, and you and I, we need to belong, and shame is the one thing that keeps you and I from belonging, and authenticity or being real breaks the chains of shame, then the question is, what is it then that keeps us from allowing ourselves to be authentic? What keeps us from allowing ourselves to really be honest and vulnerable? Now, here's what's interesting. It's the research showed that of all the people studied, the thousands and thousands of people who were studied, those who were willing to be vulnerable, those who were willing to be honest, thereby, thereby overcoming shame and taking hold of this feeling of belonging, the study showed that everyone who was willing to be vulnerable had one thing in common. You know what it was? They all possessed the understanding that they were deeply loved despite their imperfections. Feelings of unconditional love allows us to be real. Not loved because I do something great. Not loved because I add some value to you. Not love because I perform in a certain way or do a certain thing or act the way or somehow do something for you. No, feelings of unconditional love leads to them feeling like they belong. They realize that they were loved despite their flaws. They feel like they love in the face of their flaws. Deep, unconditional love comes from and is sustained by God. Let me say that again. Unconditional love comes from and is sustained by God. Are you with me on that? The good news of Jesus is that God shows his love for us in that while we were messed up, Christ died for us. While we were in our shame, while we were in our guilt, while we were naked and ashamed before God, that is when Christ came and died. And that's how God demonstrates his love. Follow me now. It's not before that. It's not, okay, if you just clean yourself up, if you just get yourself right, if you just start going to church enough, if you just do the right things and say the right things and go to the right places, then those are the people that Christ died for. No, no, no. It says that God demonstrates his love that while we were a mess, he loved us and he died for us. Listen, if you and I would get that truth, because listen, some of you, you've been doing church for such a long time, but that truth has never permeated your soul. That we are so deeply, relentlessly loved by God, that we're so deeply sought after by God, then maybe, listen, just maybe it would lead you into a place of authenticity. 
Just maybe you would understand that it is by grace that he loves you, not because you earned it, that you can actually walk in rivers of grace, that you can actually find yourself. Listen, despite your past and despite your current struggles, that he loves you despite where you are. Listen, God is saying you belong here. You belong here with me. The foundation of our need to belong is found in the unconditional love of God. And listen, if that doesn't move you, you don't get it yet. The foundation of us belonging, listen to me, it doesn't come through serving God. It doesn't even come through obeying God. It doesn't come through doing things for God. Belonging does not come through your performance. Belonging to God doesn't come through you serving God. Listen, the Bible even says that a prerequisite to you even loving God is that you're loved by God. 1 John 4, 19. That we can love because he first loved us. And so we need to actually receive the love of God before we can even say, I love God. That's the beauty of God being love. Is that he's come to show himself toward you so your need to belong would come from his love. Write this down if you're taking notes. Belonging starts with receiving God's unconditional love for you. Belonging starts with receiving God's unconditional love for you, and belonging continues as you enjoy your loved relationship with God. Some people, they, they, you know, I see it all the time because I'm the pastor. Like, people come in, and they receive the love of God, but really, that's where it ends. It's like, okay, I understand God loves me, and I understand his grace is enough for me, and I understand he died for me, and I want to receive Christ into my life. I want to receive Christ. But, but listen, it, it, it actually continues with you enjoying your relationship with God, your loved relationship with God. And so not only does he love me when I first come to Christ or I first get saved or I understand that he died and he loved me, but now I'm enjoying the fact that no matter what, I am living loved. Amen? I am walking in his love and there's nothing I can do to somehow escape to the right or escape to the left. This love that God has for me and it keeps me coming and it keeps me hungry and it keeps me wanting to know the love of God. And so if we are called to not only receive the love of God and not only enjoy the fact that we're loved by God, but we are called to be in this relationship with God, what kind of relationship is God wanting from us? Have you ever thought of that? I mean, so many, some people think, well, how is my relationship with God supposed to be enjoyable if he wants me to do his work all the time? Right? Listen, what kind of relationship would be the most enjoyable relationship? Do you realize that the Bible calls the church Christ's bride? That's a beautiful relationship, isn't it? That, that, that Christ calls us his bride. But did you know that also in the scriptures over and over again, that the Bible calls us sons and daughters? I mean, what kind of relationship do you think God wants from you? You think he wants you to be his slave? 
Is that what you want? That is what you think? You better do this or else I'm going to punish you. I mean, you better do that or you're not going to get paid. You, is, is that what God wants? You think God desires a, 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 a servant relationship? You better serve me. Is that what God is after? How about a soldier? Maybe that's the relationship. Maybe, maybe God wants you to fight for him. Tell the world how they're wrong on everything that they're doing, you know? Maybe that's the relationship that God wants. That's not it. Does God want you to be a worker? Does God want you to be an employee? Does God want you to be a slave? Does God want you to be a minion? Is that what he wants from you? Is that the kind of relationship? Listen, no, 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 and no. That's not it. The kind of relationship that God wants you to have is that of a son and a daughter. Oh, it'll move you when you get that. Write this down. The relationship that God invites us into is that of a son and a daughter. What does that mean, Eric? That means when we receive God's love, that means we belong in God's family. When we receive God's love, listen, you and I belong to God's family. 1 John 3, verse 1, it says, See what kind of love the Father has lavished upon us? Do you see what kind of love the Father has shown to us? Don't you see? Don't you understand the kind of love that God has given to us that we should actually be called children of God? Children of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Children of the creator and the sustainer of life. That's the relationship. Don't you see what kind of love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God? And so we are. That's what we are. We're children of God. God's love for you is not based on you. God's love for you is not based on the fact that anything you do, God's love for you is based on the fact that God is love. God is love, which means God doesn't love some future version of you. He doesn't love you finally when you clean yourself up or start doing right. He loves you right where you're at. And because he so loved you with this relentless type of love, he would send his son Jesus to die for you. Listen, to rescue you from you to rescue you from all of your sin and all your shame. And if you just simply trust and receive and enjoy the sacrificial love that Jesus has for you, you would be filled with the Spirit of God. That's what identifies you as a child of God. The Bible says that when we receive this love, that we receive the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God does many things. It leads us into righteousness. It, it leads us into the presence of Jesus. It acknowledges to us that Jesus is the Son and the Savior. But it also tells our hearts, it tells our souls that we are children. The Spirit leads us into the fact that we are children of God. If the Spirit of God lives in you, Romans 8, 9. Listen to what it says. It says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not 
belong to him. That is the marking feature of being sealed by the spirit of God. Verse 14, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. When you receive the love of God for you, when you receive what Christ has done for you, it says that in that moment, the Holy Spirit seals you for the day of redemption so that the spirit now lives in you and leads you into knowing that you're a child. That you don't have to live as an orphan anymore. You don't have to live in shame anymore. You can live in grace. You can live in mercy. You can live as a child. Listen to what it says. If you receive the spirit of God, you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. And when we receive this spirit of adoption as sons, we in our souls cry out, Daddy, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we truly are children of God. It's being loved by God that overflows into loving God. It overflows into us knowing that God does love us and that we're his children. When you receive the love of God for you, despite of you, listen to me, it frees you from pretending it means, it means there's grace so that you don't have to be fake. When you receive the love of God, it breaks the barriers of shame and allows you to say with your heart, yeah, I belong here. I belong to God. I belong in the love of God. I'll share this last verse with you, Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians 3, Paul is writing the church at Ephesus, and he wants them so badly and so urgently to know this love of God. He says, this, this, is what, this is what rules it all. This is the foundation of all of our faith, is knowing this love of God. In Ephesians 3, verse 17, it says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You see, the Spirit of God, the, the Spirit of Christ, it says in, in Romans 8, it dwells in us, and that comes through faith. And so when we put our faith in Jesus, it says that Christ dwells in our hearts through faith, that you now in faith being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, that's the width, that you would be able to know how wide and how long and how high and how deep And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. There was a day, right the day that I became a Christian, I remember reading the scriptures for the very first time and praying to God for the very first time. And I remember arguing with God and telling God, God, if you really knew me, there's no way you could love me the way that this word says that you loved me. And I just read this verse and I say, no, no, God's love goes beyond what I can even understand. And so if you're walking in here and you feel like a wreck, you feel like you messed up, you're beyond reach. No, 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 his love is wider than that. His love is longer than that. His love is deeper than that. His love is higher than that. He says, he says, I want you to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. All right, last thing to write down. I want to tell you that the love of Christ is so wide that you can't escape it. You got to know that. I think of it like this. I think of like a net 
a fishing net that they would cast out into the water, you know? That this net, that the love of Christ is so wide that it covers all of the water. That there's not a fish in the water that somehow the net would not reach over and encompass and grab hold of and pull into itself. Listen, the love of Christ is so wide, you can't escape it. And the love of Christ, listen to this, is so long that you can't outrun it. Some of you, you've been running from God for so long. You've been trying to find fulfillment and belonging and connection and so many other things. But listen, the love of Christ does not grow weary. The love of Christ does not get tired. The love of Christ goes to the, to the lengths of the earth and even beyond the heavens. And it says that the love of Christ is so long. Listen to me. You can't outrun it. Not only that, but the love of Christ is so deep that it can reach you wherever you're at. Some of you say, Eric, I don't know about that. I'm pretty dark right now. I feel like I'm pretty low right now. I feel like I've done things that I can't even speak in this room. I feel like I've thought things that are, that are not honoring. I, I feel like I am, I am so far away. Listen, the love of Christ is so deep that it's able to reach you right where you're at. There's not a depth, there's not a dark alley, there's not a dark corner, there's not a dark crack. There's not a place in all of the universe that God's love is not reaching down to you and it goes deeper than that. Christ's love is so deep that it'll reach you wherever you're at. I'll write this one down. The love of Christ is so high that it's able to overlook all your sin. Christ's love is so high that it's able to overlook all your sins. Some of you are like, man, if we stacked my sin up, it would be as high as Everest. Listen, God's love is higher than that. It looks right over that because of the blood of Jesus. God's love is so high that there's no amount of pile of sin that somehow would not overcome the cross. Listen, write this down. You belong in the love of Christ. That's where you belong. You belong in the love of Jesus. As the band comes and we prepare our hearts to respond, I want to simply close with a story out of Luke chapter 15. You don't have to be in church to know this story, probably. You've probably heard it a hundred times. In Luke 15, there's this religious party. You know, the, the people who do good their whole lives. And the Bible says that they were grumbling. They were grumbling at Jesus because he was receiving tax collectors and sinners, which in this day was the worst of the worst. It says not only was he receiving them, but he was eating with them. That means he was saying, this sinner belongs to me. This guy, he belongs to me. This girl, she belongs to me. And all of the religious people were grumbling. And so he tells them three stories. The first story is about a shepherd who leaves 99 sheep and finds the one who has wandered off. It's like, it's like Jesus in that moment was saying, don't you understand? My love is so wide, it's so long, it's so deep, it's so high that I would leave 
everything so that I could run and chase until I find the one. Listen, my love is relentless for you. That even the broken of sinners and the tax collectors, even they would belong to me. The second story, the story that Jesus says that a woman, she loses a coin, but she turns her house upside down searching for it. It's like Jesus is saying, don't you see my love? It's so deep that I would go to even the darkest corners. I would go to even the pits of everything, the darkest places, just so that I could bring home the one because you belong to me. The last story is a story of a father who has two sons, splits his inheritance, and one of the sons stays home and does everything the father says, but the other one, the younger son actually runs off. And he takes his blessing and he takes his inheritance and he squanders it and he, and he looks for things that would somehow give him value or worth or, or somehow bring him to a point where he really feel like he belonged. And he would go and he would squander it and he would lose it all. And the Bible says that he came to his senses and he says, man, I really want to fit in. I really want to be back with my father. I know what I'll do. I'll go home and I, I, won't, I won't want to be a son anymore. I'll just, I'll settle for a servant. I'll settle for a hired hand. And so he goes home and the father, while he was a long way off, saw him and he runs to him and he embraces him and he puts the cloak around him and the shoes on his feet and the ring on his finger. And he says, no, no, my son is home. He receives him. He kisses him. He blesses him. And he says, come, come, let's celebrate. It's like Jesus is saying, listen, my love is such a pursuing love that no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, if you've spent it all and given it all and you lost it all, it doesn't matter. I'm waiting with arms open wide because you belong here. You belong with me. But there's another brother, isn't there? And the story goes that the older brother sees and hears the celebration that's going on, but he doesn't go into the house. And so what does the father do? He goes out and meets him right where he is. And the son says, look, I've done everything you've wanted me to do. I've obeyed everything you've told me to do. But you see, it's like Jesus is saying, but that's not even it. I want you to belong to me. I want you to be my son. I want you to be in my love. You belong not out here, but in here. There's no amount of good work or good deeds or obedience that would somehow get you into the love of Father. It's just simply receiving it by grace. And Jesus is like he's saying, listen, my love is inviting you in to my love. So here's the deal. Whether you've walked in here religious or irreligious. Whether you feel like you've, you've done everything right or you feel like you've done everything wrong. Listen, you belong in the love of Christ. Today, may you hear the voice of Jesus saying to you, you have no idea how much I love you. You can't even comprehend how much I love you. You have no idea what I would be willing to do to invite you in 
to my love. I've always loved you. I've always been there for you. There hasn't been a moment of your life that I have not been pursuing you. There's not been a moment of your life that I haven't been fully loving you. And today, God is inviting every one of you to receive this unconditional love of God for you and break chains of shame and allow you to be free, allow you to be who God made you to be. May you hear God's voice this morning saying to you, right where you're at, you belong in my family. You belong in my love. You belong right here. Let's pray. Oh God, break us now. Holy Spirit, consume us now. Fall upon my heart. Fall upon my mind. Transform me from the inside out. Oh Jesus, come. Oh Spirit, come. Lord, fill us with your love. Shower us with your grace. Let us know unconditionally that we are loved even despite of myself. Lord, there's so many barriers and so many walls and so many struggles and so many shortcomings that somehow keep me from receiving. But today I pray in the name of Jesus that you break down those walls, that you break those chains, that you break through those barriers for me that you would somehow lead me into your goodness and in your love. Not because I earn it or deserve it, but because you are love. Oh God, help us today as your church know that we are loved by God. If you're here this morning, every eye is closed, every head is bowed. I'm going to 